What's going on, everybody? This is the Los Angeles Clippers team preview for the 48 Minutes Network. I'm Tim Daniel. I am joined by Robert Flum of Clips Nation and the Lob the Jam the Pod. We're going to dive into all things the crazy night that was Kawhi Leonard and Paul George becoming Clippers, the offseason itself, and so much more. So, hey, without further ado, here's the show. Take it out. Hi, you're listening to 48 Minutes, and this is Tim Kitzrow from NBA Jam. Ooh, boom shakalaka. Alright, joining us for our Clippers team preview as he has the past couple years. He is a light writer for Clips Nation. You can now catch him on one of the coolest names of a podcast I've ever heard, The Lob, The Jam, The Podcast, Mr. Robert Flom. Welcome back, man. How you doing? I see you're back on this part of the country now, too. Yes, I am. Uh, thanks for having me, as always. And um, yeah, I moved back out to Michigan, so I'm back on East Coast time. And while I am enjoying it and I'm having a good time out here, I'm not looking forward to watching Clippers games going until like one in the morning on a regular basis again that will not be great for my work schedule but i know I'll, I'll find a way to deal with it yeah i uh i went through that a lot last year when i was trying to watch like west coast games um because you know obviously i had a peak interest in the lakers like everyone at the beginning of the year before it all went to shit so <laughs> i uh was trying to catch those games and so now there's two teams over there because i don't really i mean obviously the warriors and everyone like that but yeah, man, I, I totally feel your pain, trust me. Yeah, it's it's really not fun, especially when you have to write about them. You know, yeah. it's doing game recaps. I'm going to be up pretty late a lot of the time doing those write-ups and trying to get quotes and making sure I don't miss anything from the box scores or whatnot. So it's it's not going to be great. But, um, you know, I mean, on the West Coast, there were times where I would miss East Coast games because I'd still be at work. It would be like I would leave at 5, and East Coast games would already be heading into halftime. So you're going to miss something no matter what. Uh, right. Because I cover the Clippers, it's a little bit worse for me. But, you know, it'll be okay. It's it's not the worst thing in the world. It's truly first world problems. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. And obviously, you know, since you're on the show, every time you're on, I have a Michigan basketball question for you. So that will come. I'm sure you okay. know this. Um, <laughs> because it's just how we talk. But uh, I want to actually kind of take a little bit different turn. So obviously we're going to talk about the offseason, how great it was. Um, curious your thoughts. Have you listened to the Sterling Affairs yet? Figure as a Clipper guy, you might be someone who might that might pique your interest. Yeah, so this is funny. A lot of people have asked me about this. Um, it's actually not something that I was really all that interested in. Uh, I listened not super intently, but, you know, attentively, I guess. I, I listened to them. I wasn't paying that close attention. I just wanted to listen so I could talk about it. And just so when people asked me, I could just say, you know, I'd, I'd listen. So I got the general gist of it. I don't really remember too much of it, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I don't remember a lot of, like, the stories and anecdotes. You know, I got a lot of the broader picture stuff. And, you know, I've talked about it with some people. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I, I did a podcast on it with somebody a few days ago is, I really didn't want to dwell in the past. Right. You know, I think it's an interesting topic. And looking at like the fall of, of bad people, uh, which is in a sense what it's about, is is cool and all. 
Um, but I really just didn't want to revisit the Sterling era Clippers at all. Um, and while there was new stuff, I think on the whole, the, the picture is pretty much known already. I didn't really learn that much new from this. Like, you know, some of the depths of what he did and the weird things that he used to do were revealed, I guess. But, I, you know, I was fine with it. I, I listened and, you know, I'll probably forget about it in a couple months. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, um, obviously not the situation that was, because it's obviously a terrible situation, like you said, but um, the details and stuff. Ramona Shelbourne, she's amazing, so mm-hmm. anything she does, obviously I'm going to pay attention. Um, but yeah, we'll move on from that, man, because there's obviously one specific crazy night, probably the biggest night in Clippers history that we need to get to, and that is, in fact... The night of the Summer League begins. There is an earthquake in Las Vegas at Summer League. Mm-hmm. But while that's going on, Kawhi Leonard, who everyone seems to think is going to the Lakers, all of a sudden signs with the Clippers. And it's like 2 in the morning or so. It's about midnight here when it comes out. And it's like, oh, okay, so he made a decision. That's cool. And then I remember at 5 a.m. getting text messages, my phone blowing up, and getting phone calls that Paul George is coming with him via trade. Mm-hmm. And just like holy shit, the what happened in the span of a couple hours, and I'm wide awake now. So for you, what was that night like? What was it like? You know, did you? I'm sure you like. Did you always feel comfortable like Kawhi Leonard was likely going to be a Clipper? Were you kind of believing everyone else that the thing seemed, seemed like he was going to be a Laker? Or was there a party that was like, I'm not buying any of this. It's all smoke. I thought it was mostly smoke. I wouldn't say I was confident one way or another. I I had a feeling the pro Lakers stuff, at least all of the things that were coming out in the days prior, was all smoke and really just made up stuff. And Palinka telling random non journalists things to you know like the REA kid or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, that stuff all seemed mostly made up to me. At the same time, I didn't think the Lakers were entirely ruled out. I wasn't going to, like, bet on them to get him, but I wasn't saying that that was completely nonsense. Um, I had the Clippers, I think, as, like, slight favorites to get him at that point. Most of the, that week, I think I had them as, like, you know, 55% likelihood to get him. Um, and I remained it around it there the entire time, but I was certainly not expecting Paul George. Right. It's actually funny because that morning I wrote about five players the Clippers could get, like stars, to entice Kawhi because I thought that the delay and the only really reasonable explanation for it was that he was waiting for something else to happen with one of these teams. And the only team that could really do much was the Clippers. So it made sense that he was waiting for a star, so I wrote about five of them. And Paul George was on the list. But I said in the article that he was the most unlikely <laughs> uh, because of how good he was in the season he just had. So I was kind of on the money, but also kind of off. And uh, it was still really surprising to me. In terms of the night itself, I mean, just seeing the Kawhi Leonard thing from Chris Haynes was surreal. <laughs> I think it was at like 10.48 p.m., I think, because I was still on the West Coast at that time. And I was just like, wow, like this is I had to double check, make sure it's a blue check mark. You know, we cleared our pre-written story, and then all of a sudden, five minutes later, Woj is, you know, I see Paul George and Clippers in the same sentence, and I'm just like, what? Uh, And then we had to scramble to write that story, and then we had like a three-hour podcast bringing in all these different members of Clippers Twitter and Clippers Media members, and 
it was a, a very crazy night. I don't think I went to sleep till like 4 a.m. Pacific time. And um, yeah, it was it was certainly something. <laughs> yeah, to put that day in context, so the Saturday morning, we never do, we very rarely do weekend pods. Like the two we've done this year was uh, the Anthony Davis trade mm-hmm. and this. So I text Sean, my co-host, at like 7 in the morning. I was like, hey, we got to do a show this morning. So we did an 8.30 a.m. podcast on a Saturday. That's how, you know, like, because we were like, holy hell, this all happened. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it goes down. And then you kind of get your back, get your opinion on. Were you kind of surprised when you heard? Probably not because it's, you know, a Russell Westbrook team. But were you kind of surprised when you heard a lot of the stuff that was coming out about, like, how Paul was kind of, like, thinking that he had his last, you know, that was done there, and he just signed that crazy contract with them and the year before and did the whole party with Nas and Russell Westbrook, but all of a sudden he wanted out so quick. Was that a surprise to you, or was that kind of like, this is just today's NBA? I don't think it was really a surprise. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't expecting it, certainly. I wasn't like, Paul George definitely wants out. Right. Um, But I don't think I was surprised. I mean, their season just did not go well. Um. You know, as great as he was for, you know, those few months from like December to February, he ended the year injured. Russell Westbrook had his worst season in, you know, four or five years, probably. The surrounding cast was, you know, good, but not great. You know, Adams really hasn't taken any steps forward the past couple of years. Jeremy Grant was good. You know, they just didn't have enough. I mean, Schroeder, everybody kind of praised, but he really wasn't very good. No, he was Um, not. So it didn't exactly shock me um you know it coming just one summer after he did that whole thing um was you know obviously not predictable but at the same time after the season they just had it wasn't really that surprising i mean and and westbrook is not the kind of guy who i think will age particularly well so george getting out of there at that time made made some sense um even though he said it was not about Westbrook. And I don't think, personally, I don't think it was. I mean, I think they get along fine, personally, yeah, even too. on the court. Um, but I just think he recognized that the basketball situation there was just going downhill, and it was time to get out. So it was a little surprising how much he wanted to go, but I think part of that, you know, as has been written about, was Kawhi, you know, kind of convincing him to do it. Kawhi and the Clippers really getting him on their side and being like, we can make this work. This will happen. Uh, you know, if that hadn't happened, I'm not sure if he would have demanded a trade just for in general, just like I went out of here. I think it was like a very specific team and reason. So there was some surprise, but I think, you know, the situation is certainly, you know, kind of complex. Um, so let's kind of get your thoughts on the trade itself. Um, obviously, you know, to get Paul George, you're also getting Kawhi Leonard the deal is how I looked at, you know, the big package they gave up. Um, looks like no team in Los Angeles has a first-round draft pick for uh, half a decade, it looks <laughs> like, as it seems. But, you know, obviously a bunch of Clipper fans were like, you know, we got to do what we got to do to get those guys. It sucks to lose Shea Gilles-Alexander. Obviously, there's a big future for him. But, you know, what was your overall insight on everything they gave up to make the trade, ha- to make the trade happen? Yeah, I mean, I think – after the initial shock, I think most people thought of it the way you did, which is that it's not just for Paul George, it's Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And if you think of it like that, then yeah, I mean, it's it's a trade you make every time. Um, at the same time, I mean, I think there's no question that this could come back to bite them, especially when it came out, you know, a week or two later that Kawhi, 
wasn't signing a full max, but was doing like this two plus one thing. Yeah. Uh, to give himself the chance to opt out and head to free agency in two years and lining up with George, that you know puts a little bit of pressure on the Clippers. Like there's a chance that two summers from now, neither of them will be on the Clippers if things don't work out well, and you know they could be in a a Brooklyn Nets esque deficit where. They only have a, a couple young players, probably none of whom are stars. They have no draft picks for the next few years, and they're probably going to be paying for a bunch of veterans for a contender that's no longer a contender. So there is a chance that happens. Um, you know, Again, it's hard to take too much from off-the-court stuff, but from what Kawhi has already done in the L.A. area in terms of his, I don't know if you read about his partner. I did, his, yeah. Yeah, baby to baby to hand out these backpacks. Really, I mean, all indications are that he's settling, settling, I don't know why I said that weird, settling down there for the long haul. Um, I'm not predicting that he or George leaves in two years. You know, even if they don't win a championship, I don't necessarily think that they're both gone. I think Kawhi in particular just wants to make this his last stop. I don't think he's really a free agency type of person. Um, But, like, there are certainly plenty of ways this could go badly and that trade could look awful. I mean, I'm super high on Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think he's gonna be a star. Maybe not a traditional like score twenty two points a game, you know, type of star. But I think he's gonna be a good scorer uh, with just a very solid, well rounded game. Who's gonna be an excellent defender at multiple positions. And I think in today's NBA, that's a star level player. Like I, I think he'll be good enough to make some all defensive teams probably in his prime. And he's cost controlled for the next three years. You know, it's a, a really, really, really valuable asset that they gave up along with all those draft picks and a really, really good player in Danilo Gallinari on an expiring deal. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I think the Thunder could sneakily be good this year if, with a big if being if Gallinari and Chris Paul stay healthy, which, you know, who knows with those guys, but they have a lot of talent. And, you know, the Clippers definitely in two years or five years, however, if this doesn't work out, it could look bad, but I think it's not a Brooklyn Nets type of deal where even at the time, it not just looked like it could be bad in the future, but didn't even really look like that big a payoff in the present. Um, you know, after the initial hype, I mean, it was, you know, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett were in their mid-30s, and right. while they were still good, they clearly weren't great anymore. Um, the Ron Williams had already declined, you know, Joe Johnson was not quite as good as he... You know, it wasn't. It just wasn't the same type of thing. And the Clippers also had a lot more surrounding pieces now than the Nets did this time. So I don't think it's quite like that. But there's certainly a chance that, with the benefit of hindsight, it could look awful in a few years if Shea breaks out and the Clippers don't win anything. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I think um, the fact that both LA teams, which we're definitely going to get into that, obviously, um, really took these big chances to get these big-time stars, really, you know kind of mortgaging their future you know it's a chance you take i know a lot of people seem to think the anthony davis deal the lakers gave up too much but in my opinion it was this window is only open so long you know so if you're going to get them you're going against father time you're not going against anybody else and the clippers then like you said this is like well you know we lose alexander who might be our you know who's probably our best trade ship or best future piece so that makes things a little tough too um so what did you know? What do you? What is your response when people kind of say those things about the, the the two trades those teams made? I mean, I think the Lakers. It's tough because I see it from the Lakers' perspective. 
because they need to win around LeBron James. LeBron is, you know, six, seven years older than Kawhi Leonard. He's in his mid-30s already. He was still great last year, but clearly, you know, as great as he was, still clearly not as good as he was in his prime in Miami and Cleveland. And, you know, they need to win around him while he's still a top five, top ten player. And, you know, he has a long way to go down from, but the fall will come eventually. And, I mean, even for LeBron James, it's hard to predict him being a top five level guy for more than, like, two more years. They had to do something uh, to get another superstar next to him. Uh, so from a pure asset perspective, I actually think they gave up way less than the Clippers did and did it in kind of a timeline that makes more sense. I yeah. don't understand it from Anthony Davis's perspective at all because the Pelicans are all of a sudden like a super stacked team. Um, you know, some of it is because of the pieces they got from the Lakers, but I mean, they added Zion, Drew Holiday is, you know, by far better than any non-Laker who's not LeBron. Um, you know, their team is probably going to be pretty good next year, even without Anthony Davis. So I, I don't necessarily understand why he had to force his way to Los Angeles, especially since he could have just gone there in a year and had all those pieces still there. Um, you know, again, that's like agent stuff and, you know, the situation in New Orleans had clearly soured. But from the Lakers' perspective, I 100% get it. Um, you know, they had to get somebody else next to LeBron, not just to help him win, but also to keep him to stay. I mean, two years from now, if they're still, you know, winning 35 games and relying on these young guys who never turn out to be that good, he could still leave. I mean, you know, again, who knows if he's still like a superstar at that point, but that would be a massive blow. So it's something that I think they had to do. I think the situations are pretty different. Though. I mean, the Clippers clearly have a much more established infrastructure of players. They're keeping a lot more of their key pieces and they're a lot younger. So I think, you know, in terms of the two-year timeline, it does pose some risk, but in terms of on the court, I think they have a much steadier foundation around Kawhi and Paul George than the Lakers do around uh, LeBron and AD. So I want to talk about Steve Ballmer because he was incredible in the press conference when mm -hmm. they did the announcement for Kawhi and Paul George. Just so fun, and, you know, he's such a great dude. Um, obviously, you know, getting the team was probably the best thing to happen to the franchise. Yeah. But, you know, just his, his, his excitement, his joy, and, like, you see that. You don't see that often from owners in the NBA. You see it from Cuban, obviously. But this is, like, a higher energy, less in the game reaction from Steve Ballmer. Like, is that just really infectious for Clipper fans just to have a guy like that who not only you know is going to pay the bill to make the team win, but also just has that energy and that joy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, you nailed it. Palmer coming in. I mean, this is why the Sterling thing was interesting is because Ballmer coming in was the biggest moment in Clippers franchise history. It's even bigger than the Chris Paul trade or the Kawhi Paul George night because this is something that lasts. It's foundational. It's infrastructural. Um it's that important, but, um, you know, it's tough because the owners are at one hand so far removed from your ordinary fan, but the other hand, they're still kind of the face of the franchise in some ways. So, yeah, I mean, I think Clippers fans have really connected with Steve Ballmer, you know, even though they're marketing themselves as a blue collar team and he's obviously as far from a blue collar guy as you can get in terms of wealth. Um, you know, he has that infectious attitude that's like you know real persons he's not some aloof billionaire who's just running this team from some mansion 
You know, he shows up to games, he shows up to events, he interacts with fans, he's really good at it. And yeah, I mean, he gets excited like a little kid about these things, and it's it's great. Um, you know, being at these things is, is very infectious. And yeah, I mean, I think it's really important, especially after a guy like Sterling, who's not only just awful as a person, but also somebody who clearly didn't actually care much about the team or the product or anything. Having a guy who's the exact opposite of that is just such a huge relief and change of pace for Clippers fans. It's It's been a great ride so far for the first five years of Steve Ballmer's tenure. So for a long time, the Clippers were known as Lob City in the Blake, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan era. With this team, um, you know, it's a big emphasis on all really good defensive players. Is this going to be Clamp City now? Is that what we're calling it? Eh. They tried marketing it as Clamp City last year with Pat Beverly and Avery Bradley, and that was a huge bust, mostly because Avery Bradley sucks. Uh, <laughs> but, My um, least favorite Lakers signing, yes. Yeah, God. I, don't get me started. Uh, but no, I, I Clamp City is not... I just... I didn't like it even last year, mostly because I was skeptical about its effectiveness. Um, but also, I'm just not a huge fan of it. And this year, too, like, I think they'll be good defensively, but I'm not expecting, like, an all-time great defense, both because I think Kawhi and PG will sit a while uh, just for load management and, in George's case, due to some injury. And also just because, like, you know, Kawhi in particular last year was not necessarily, like, a great regular season defender. He wasn't bad, but he was not defensive player of the year level Kawhi Leonard every game he would turn it on for key moments but he coasted a fair amount I'm guessing George might do that too I'm Pat Beverly never coasts but I don't think they're gonna be like a top three defense next year I think they'll be like top 10 and then when they really want to try they can clamp down on opponents so I just use the word clamp uh, but <laughs> I, I just, I don't know about Clamp City. I haven't thought of a good nickname. I'm not really a great nickname guy. Like, I'm the guy who has, like, really boring fantasy football names. I'm not good at this stuff. Um, but somebody will think of something that I think will really catch on. This team will develop an identity, I think, that will, will generate some good nicknames. So let's talk about the rest of the rock, the roster, Sands, PG, and Kawhi. Um, obviously, in the draft... They get Kevin Galley really late, which was kind of a steal, honestly. I loved Kevin Galley in this draft. Uh, Landry Shamay, who they got last year in the um, Tobias Harris trade. You get Zubach for, like, a bag of peanuts uh, from the Lakers. And then, uh, obviously, Lou Will being back, who is six-man god. Uh, Montrez Harrell, also a great player. You get Mo Harkless. Patrick Patterson comes in. Truthfully, I don't feel like the Clippers had one questionable move in free agency or like just team acquisition this year. I would probably agree with that. I think this summer was pretty spotless. Uh, there were some Clippers fans who weren't super happy about Patrick Patterson, both because he was pretty bad last year and not great the year before, and also because he doesn't really fit a position of need. Uh, he's definitely more of a power forward who can do some small ball center. I think Clippers fans really wanted like a big body who could bang with guys like Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns uh, to back up Zubats. You know, a guy like J Joakim Noah is the guy who all Clippers fans have kind of wanted the past couple months. Or a point guard, because outside of Pat Beverly, they don't have a true point guard on the roster. You know, Lou Williams obviously handles the ball a lot. And Landry Shamit has some point guard skills. You know, second round guy Jerome Robinson has some guard skills, and they have a, a former Michigan guy, Derek Walton, on a training camp invite. Um, but they don't have a true backup point guard on the roster. 
And so Clippers fans were a little upset about Patterson getting brought in over a point guard or a center. But, you know, that was pretty small potatoes. And outside of that, I mean, yeah, it's been an A-plus level summer. Their team is really deep. They have tons of talent. Mo Harkless and Rodney Magruder have both started on playoff teams the past few years, and they're both coming off the bench and might not even get, like, 15 minutes a game. Uh, it's it's crazy how deep they are. Um, you know, again, point guard and center <coughs> are a little thin, but they'll be able to make do, and there's always the waiver wire, and they can make they can make other moves happen. I'm, I'm pretty confident this front office will be able to get this team through to the finish line. You just mentioned the buyouts and free agencies. You mean like a Andre Iguodala? Yeah, I, I don't know. There was a rumor a couple days ago that they have a deal worked out, and it's going to be announced in a couple days. I don't know why that would happen. Like, they'd set a date for this. Um, I still don't really know why the Grizzlies would buy him out. Um, and if it was a trade, I don't know why the trade would have taken so long to happen. It's not like there are any moving pieces. Uh, so... I'm kind of a little skeptical about that happening right now. But the Clippers certainly have inquired heavily about Iguodala, and they're probably going to continue to inquire about him until he either gets bought out and can join them or they get him in a trade. So it would not surprise me if he makes it onto the team. I would be a little surprised if it happened now rather than in the opening or months of the season or, or before the deadline. But, you know... It would not shock me at all if, if Iggy found his way to this team. He'd be a great fit in terms of culture, in terms of his fit on the roster as a guy who can handle the ball and playmake a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it should be it should be an interesting you know trade season. Even with all the assets they used up, you know, this front office is not content to sit on its laurels. And even if it's not Iguodala, it would not shock me if they made another you know fairly substantial move during the season. So you mentioned the point guard issue uh, as far as like not having someone to back up Pat Beverly. Um, is that really the quote-unquote weakness of this Clipper team? Do you see anything else that really kind of sticks out as a worrisome besides obviously Paul George's shoulders? Yeah, I mean, I think Paul George's shoulder, backup point guard. Again, like I think against very specific opponents, the center position could be a bit of a weakness. Montrose Herald's great, but he's undersized against guys like Towns and Embiid. Zubats is, you know, theoretically big enough to handle those guys, but he needs to get stronger, and he also just needs to get better. Um, so they could be at a bit of a deficit against true big men who really take the ball in the post and battle inside, but there are only a few teams that are like that. I mean, those happen to be some of the best teams in the NBA. You know, the Sixers and Lakers might be two teams they have to go through to get an NBA championship, so that's certainly worth considering. But, yeah, I mean, I think Paul George's shoulder is probably the biggest worry sign. And then, honestly, Kawhi's injury management, just his leg, might be second. Um, just because there were times in the playoffs he looked like he was playing on one leg and kind of limping and favoring his leg. So whether that's actually ever going to be healthy, how much load management he has to do, that's still a worry. And then probably point guard and then and then probably center for me. So, Robert... I, like the majority of the world, have the Los Angeles Clippers as the favorites to win the 2019-20 NBA championship. I think all the things we've talked about here, having two top 10 players on the team, two great, you know, switch-on defenders, 
Um, the you know all the, the the depth they have, the great free agency, having Doc Rivers, you know everything seems the foundation of the franchise in general. Everything seems to be going Clipper way. It seems like this is a NBA championship team. Your non biased opinion: Are the Clippers the NBA favorites? Uh, I don't think so. No, I think they might be the best team in the NBA when they're healthy and clicking, but I don't think they're the favorites because they're in the wrong conference. Um, I think the Bucks and or the Sixers should be the favorites to win the title because they play in the East and with the Celtics kind of collapsing, I mean, I know they got Kemba Walker back, but uh, you know, Al Horford also left. They lost a couple other pieces and who knows about Gordon Hayward. With them getting weaker, the Pacers kind of fluctuating, uh, the Raptors losing Kawhi, obviously. Those are really the only two teams I would have right now as real favorites to make the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they have a huge talent advantage over the rest of the conference. And because of that, because they're so likely to make the conference and therefore the conference finals and therefore the NBA Finals, I think they have to be the favorite. Um, so I'd have both those teams as the as the top favorites. Um, I'm a big fan of the Sixers. I think they have Me a too. lot of talent. I think that their pieces actually fit a little better together this year. You know, Horford at power forward again at his age is a little risky, but having a competent backup for for Joel Embiid is huge. Um, I think Richardson will be really good for them. Their bench is a little bit better than last year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, and the Bucks obviously have were able to retain most of their core and still have Giannis, who's the reigning MVP. Um, so I think those are both the two favorites to win the title. I think the Clippers, you know, if you told me they're the best team in the NBA next year, I think that's a reasonable bet. Uh, not necessarily in terms of wins, but just as the team that when they're locked in and everybody's healthy and playing and going 100%, that they look like the best team in basketball. I think that's that's reasonable. I think they have a ton of talent. They have two superstars they have a lot of depth they have some young guys who can improve uh, they have a great coach they have a really good front office you know they're really well set up uh, but i actually personally do not have them as the title favorite next year do you think the western conference finals this year i know you know where i'm going with this will not leave the staples center Ah, uh, i don't know i would not necessarily bet on that i mean it could very well happen i would not be surprised but one, it wouldn't surprise me if it also happened a little earlier, um, in like the second round, for example. And, uh, you know, I think those two teams are probably the two scariest teams in the Western Conference and maybe the entire NBA if they're healthy and in the playoffs. But there are teams I think who could beat them. I think, you know, the Nuggets and Jazz certainly will be really good. The Rockets, if they can figure out the Westbrook Harden dynamic, should be really good. Um, you know, I think all three of those teams, I'm probably forgetting somebody too, should be up there. The Warriors? I don't think the, what? Are you, are you out on the Warriors? It depends on Clay's health. If yeah, Clay is healthy going into the playoffs, certainly they're right up there. Um, I'd probably put the Clippers still a bit above them, but like if they have Steph, Clay, and Draymond all fully healthy, I mean, that's still, it's the nucleus of a team that won 73 games. I mean, I know those guys are all older. They're not quite as good as they were back then, especially Draymond, but they're still really good. So yeah, I mean that they're a little more health dependent, but yeah, I mean they're that the Warriors, if they're healthy, could beat either the Lakers or the Clippers. I think. I you know the other teams 
don't have quite the depth. Like the Rockets don't have great depth. Um, you know, the Jazz don't have the high end talent of the Lakers or the Clippers. And the Nuggets still don't really have a second star around Jokic. But all three of those teams, if they make, you know, some tweaks or if their young guys take steps forward, could be super dangerous. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't bet on it. I mean, I think Lakers-Clippers in the Western Conference Finals is a very likely outcome. Um, but I certainly think that they are not invulnerable in the Western Conference playoffs. I think that'd be awesome for the players, man. They just don't have to travel. They can yep. just kind of relax. And the hardest people, the hardest working people in the arena will just be the people that do the floor. Like, so, <laughs> you know, like, um, let me get one last Clippers question out of you before we do our annual Michigan basketball conversation and the show. Um, every team that we have a team preview for, Rob, we ask for a, a bold prediction. Um, so I'm trying to curious with this team, with everything's lined up, with, you know, how good they look like they're going to be. What is your bold prediction for the Clippers for this upcoming season? Um, hmm. So do you want to hear the other teams so far? Sure, yeah. Okay, so Harrison for Harrison Faggins is already out because he said Boogie would win sixth man of the year. Obviously, that's not happening. Yikes. Uh, yeah. So Jason Pat from the Bulls of uh, of uh, Bloggable yep. said Zach Levine will be an all-star because it's in Chicago this year. I would bet against that, but that is bold. And then Jeremiah Johnson, the sideline analyst for the Pacers, his bold prediction was, I think the Pacers will be the fourth seed. I don't think that's even that bold, but yeah. Uh, okay. So there are two I strongly disagree with and one that I think is kind of lukewarm. I'll try to cut the middle. Um, I don't think, I mean, hmm. I don't think the Clippers will be a top three seed in the West next year. Oh, okay. Because yeah, of I think, load management and health? Yeah, I mean, I just, I think, I don't know where the Kawhi, the Paul George will miss six weeks came from. I think it's from a Kevin O'Connor piece. Um, not throwing shade at O'Connor at all. He's a really good writer. I don't know how plugged in he is with the Clippers. I don't think I've really seen that from anywhere else. I think kind of aggregators just took it and ran with it. Uh, so I'm not sure about that, but it seems like he's probably going to miss at the very least some of training camp and preseason, which like, you know, isn't that big a deal, but it could throw off his timing with the rest of the team. I think Kawhi, no matter what they say, is going to be load managed. I think he should be load managed. Um, because again, like he was looked injured for a lot of the playoffs last year, especially the last couple rounds. I think they need to watch him. You know, I think Lou Williams and Pat Beverly are two guys who've had injury issues in the past who are really healthy last year. Fingers crossed because, you know, both those guys are great. I want them to be healthy. It would not surprise me if they did not play quite as many games as they did last year. Um, yeah, I mean, I think injuries will play a factor. I think load management will play a factor. And ultimately, I think, you know, the Nuggets, for example, are a team that I think the Clippers could beat and probably should beat in the playoff setting, but I think they're set up really well to win a ton of regular season games. Um, you know, the Rockets, even if I'm not that scared of a Harden-Westbrook duo, I think just having them on the court is a lot to manage for opponents on a game-to-game -game basis. I think they're just going to overwhelm a lot of teams, so they're probably going to win a lot of regular season games. You know, the Jazz, the Lakers, if they're healthy, uh, the Warriors, again, even without Clay, like, Stefan Draymond is enough to win 50 games, I think. Um, you know, throw, like, the Blazers, the Spurs. There are tons of teams out there who, you know, they make a move or two, could really 
win like 55 plus games so the Clippers it would not surprise me if they were a top three seed like certainly I mean they have the talent to like I said I think they can be the best team in basketball but I think they'll probably win more like you know 53 to 55 games instead of 60. Yeah I'm with you I think uh and also like I really think D'Angelo Russell is a great pickup for the Warriors I think that was to lose Kevin Durant that was awesome you know, I don't know how good he'll be there, if they'll flip him at the deadline, like some people seem to think, but I think that definitely could add to the Warriors' success. All right, man. So, of course, it's Michigan to conversation time because <laughs> I got to get it out of you because you're the only person that ever comes on here that understands Michigan basketball. <laughs> um, so, obviously, this year, Beeline leaves. He goes to the Cavaliers, yep. which, you know, he still did a lot. He did so many great things there, obviously. He went to a national title. He got, he got guys drafted. Uh, this team, it looks like they're kind of in a little bit of transition. I think, you know, obviously, Joan coming in, which I thought was the best hire. I'm excited to see what he can do there. Yeah. Do you think, let's see, how do we put this? One, your expectations for Franz Wagner, will he be as good as Mo? I'm going to say no. Two, in the future, could you see Juwan Howard being the Penny Hardaway of Michigan basketball? Hmm. I think Wagner Franz is actually probably a better prospect than Mo was coming in. Really? Um, I do think, I mean, Mo obviously ended up being very good. I was not as high on him initially as I was on Franz. Um, you know, we'll see. Because, I mean, Mo in his last year was obviously extremely good. Uh, you know, it would not surprise me if Franz never got to that level. But I think he'll have a better first year than Mo did. Because if you remember, Mo did not play much this first right. season. And then his second, he was good, but, you know, he was, he was a key piece, but he wasn't great. Um, so I think he'll probably have a better, you know, freshman season at the very least. Um, whether he reaches the heights Mo did, I'm not sure. I mean, Mo was one of the key players behind a team that went to the national championship, um, which is a very high bar. It's, you know, the second yes. highest bar in college basketball. Um Howard, that's interesting because Hardaway has just been – like revolutionary. I don't even know what he's doing. Um, <laughs> like, I don't because know how he's you. Doing what he's doing. Um, I, I don't know if Howard will be like that, but like, yeah, I mean, I think the way some people are putting it is this is a guy who has LeBron James probably on speed dial. That is awesome. If, if you're just a random high schooler visiting Michigan and you have Jawan Howard, who not only was a member of the fad five had a, an NBA career that lasted, you know, almost 20 years, was an assistant coach, won championships, is, you know, relatively close with LeBron James, Wayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. That's a great recruiting pitch. Um, you know, and Michigan is is still doing well as a school. Like, you know, I, I know these guys don't care about academics, but, like, you know, it's a school that is still has a big athletic tradition. I mean, I don't know how good they're going to be in football this year, but, like, they still have a high-profile team and coach. You know, they still have some fairly big-name players on the roster. Um, you know, the youngest Obama daughter is going to Michigan. Like, it's still a school that has some cachet. And adding Howard to that, I think, will, will make for a potent recruiting mix. Um, I don't know if he'll quite hit what Hardaway is doing because, again, like, I just I have no words to describe what Hardaway is doing. But I think... Howard will definitely recruit better than Beeline did. Whether he can coach as well as Beeline did, I think is, you know, I mean, that's an incredibly high bar um, because John Beeline is, you know, one of the best basketball coaches of the last 20, 30 years, I'd say. Yeah, um, I agree. But, 
you know, I think he should certainly be able to get better prospects. Whether the teams turn out as good, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, Beeline had some great teams in the past 10 years, but I think we will see some more five-star recruits in the next year or two than we saw probably throughout Beeline's regime. Yeah, you're going to be hard-pressed to find someone who loves Xavier Simpson more than me. I... Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. He's I'm a huge fan. He almost went to Xavier, actually. I don't know if you knew that. I did not. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I love I love my guy. I really wish he was a few inches taller so he could make it in the NBA or he could shoot. But um, I love his flaws, too. I know. Um, and I love that hook shot. <laughs> Dude, were you shocked that Jordan Poole got drafted as high as he did? Because, like, everywhere I looked at him at the end of the second. A little bit. I thought he would be a guy that some teams would really like because of the shooting. Like, I'm assuming he probably came into the Warriors, you know, workouts and just shot absolute lights. I mean, he's a great shooter. He is. And if he can just round out some of the rest of his game, I think I think he was drafted fine. I mean, I think this draft was a pretty weak draft, and he's a guy that, if he can get some other stuff to work out, has pretty good upside. I mean, if you can add that level of shooting and just some other things, like, that's a really good player. Um, I'm still can't believe how low Iggy went. You know, this is a guy yeah. who's one of the best players in the Big Ten as a freshman and has a game that, you know, kind of limited athletically, but, like, he can shoot. He's gritty. He plays super hard. I just, I don't know how he fell that far. Uh, I was more surprised at that than at pool going high, to be honest. That makes sense. All right, Robert, I've taken a ton of your time today, man. I really appreciate it. I know we uh, had some troubles getting this together, but we made it work. Um, before I get you out of here, of course, I'm not going to have you give me 40 minutes of Clipper talk without giving you a chance to plug yourself, your podcast, your <laughs> website, everything you want to do, man. So please, by all means, the floor is yours. Okay, well, thank you very much. Um, I'm not writing a ton right now. You know, it's definitely NBA dead season. We're starting to hit into, you know, as you're doing, like season preview and division preview. Uh, so starting this week, I'm probably going to start writing up some divisional previews. Um, so look out for those. My last thing that I'd like to plug was last week I wrote an article on Landry Shamit and three things he can do to take him to the next level. Um, you know, the Law of the Jam, the pod is, as you mentioned, the name of our podcast. It's the but coolest an, name. It is a great name. Uh, we're very, very proud of that name. Um, still are, but, uh, yeah, we're doing right now is bi-weekly probably or whatever every other week is. I, I never know how to say that, um, because there's not much content, but that's around. And we added a new podcast to our podcast network on Clips Nation, which is the Clip Fix with Mike Jaglin, formerly of Clips Clipcast. Uh, his first episode with the new Clippers play-by-play guy, Brian Seaman, uh, came up Friday. It is extremely good. And, uh, yeah, those are all the things that I, I'm going to plug right now. I don't have a ton going on. But, yeah, uh, you can find me at Rich Homie Flom on Twitter. Mostly not tweeting right now because I'm really busy and there's not much basketball. But, uh, you know, I'll be tweeting lots of Clippers stuff during the season. Excellent. Well, hey, man, I always appreciate talking with you. You're a great insight to a lot of things. So I look forward to doing this again soon. Yep. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's always great. Awesome. Thank you, Robert.